0: I think that being a pig farmer is um, is actually uh, you know a big positive in my life and, and in our family. We, I guess, get to see the product from start to finish, and, and there's not many people out there that do that. The whole story together is um, is rewarding, but challenging.
1: This is The Crackling. I'm Anthony Huckstep. In the food industry there are many jack of all trades because often small business requires such a hands-on approach for steve anderson it's business as usual as the free-range pig farmer has also become a small good producer marketing and salesperson and all-round inspiration too steve how are you
0: i'm good thanks how are you
1: good you're um you're pretty busy tell us a bit about the scope of what you're doing
0: yeah look we we uh, have plenty to do, don't worry about that. Um, but um, yeah, as you were uh, sort of saying, we're the farmer, we're the butcher, we're the small goods maker and we also market our uh, produce at the farmer's markets.
1: Tell us a little bit about um, about the product and the farm. Tell us about the region. What's so great about that region for growing pigs?
0: Look, we're in, uh, in the Wagga. Wagga Wagga area. Um, for us, um, there's a lot of foodie people. Um, it's sort of known as, I guess, the, the Riverina Food Bowl. We um, have been doing it for, I think it's nine years this year. And when we first started out, it was a challenge um, getting people to try things different and try things that are a little bit outside the box. Um, but, uh, you know, that following has grown. Um, obviously substantially now to what it is today.
1: You mentioned uh, you started nine years ago. What what sort of triggered the move
0: into pig farming? Oh, look, I grew up uh, in far north Queensland. Um, we basically had a, a small property where we had a lot of um, small crops and we grew watermelons and pumpkins and we, we also had uh, had pigs. Um, they were semi-free range. They were just large whites and land race pigs. Um, and essentially, we've been around pigs all my life. Um, and from there, I went and became a butcher. And after finishing my apprenticeship, I actually moved down to... New South Wales into Wagga, and that's where I met my wife, and um, basically it all started from there.
1: Tell us about that transition from butcher to farmer. Do you have any favourite stories of the challenges of setting it up?
0: Oh, look, there's absolutely there's plenty of those. We we, as I said, started out a, a lot of years ago, and we started really from nothing. We we leased some land land out of the Mingenew area and um i remember in the early days we had a we brought a couple of sows that um were meant to be proven breeders and uh we we'd got them and um they were very shy very timid pigs and you know anytime we needed to move them or bring them in from a paddock it was it was almost impossible <laughs> they just were so so skittish around people um, eventually they did you know tame down and and became quite good but in the early times we uh, we labeled my wife as the pig whisperer because <laughs> my wife Leah she was the only person that could actually get these pigs to uh, to come in out of the paddock and um and uh, go where we where we needed them to go so yeah that was um I guess there's a, a lot of um, times passed since since then, but yeah, we still we still quite often refer to that talk about her being the uh, the pig whisperer.
1: Tell us about the breeds that you settled on um, for what you do.
0: Yeah, so we run um, Berkshire, so for us um, that's part of our key story. So Berkshire is it's known as the the Wagyu of the pork world, if that makes sense. So it has a, a high marbling. Uh, content through the through the meat rather than a layer of fat obviously they can also get that layer of fat on the outside but generally speaking um, we're looking for that that marbling and what that means is for the consumer and for eating quality is it's uh, tender and juicy
1: tell us a bit about the life on the farm for the pigs what what's a day-to-day for them
0: well life on the farm for the pigs is uh it's quite good really um they, uh, they start out um, in the morning, they, uh, they walk around and depending on the time of the year, it could be, uh, you know, if it's a summertime, they'll usually go and lay in the wallows or lay under a shady tree uh, and in the winter time, you tend to find them uh, huddled up together, um, whether it be in some straw that we've put there or, or just huddled up under a tree just depending on, on what the weather's doing at the time. And, um, yeah, so they're pretty uh, pretty happy just doing their thing, you know, rummaging around foraging and, um, and and doing what pigs generally do when they're not locked up.
1: Tell us a bit about their diet and um, do you uh, – has that altered over the years in order to get a different product um, at the end?
0: Yeah, it has. Um, so when we first started out, we did use uh, like a – like a commercial feed, like a pellet, um, And uh, today we actually uh, mill our own feed. so we have um, three three hammer mills, and we actually uh, mix up our own grains and uh, mill them to specific um, requirements for each um each stage of the pig's pig's life. Uh, tell us about
1: the life cycle of the Berkshire pigs that you have. Uh, how long? Um, do they live and what sort of size are you are you processing them at
0: so a pig can you know live to a quite a good a good age in pig standards they can range um, anywhere depending on you know productivity but generally speaking you know anywhere from five to, to nine or ten years um, they can uh, they can certainly, in, in pig terms live for a, a fairly long time they generally mature around that you know nine to ten ten months sort of um, definitely by their 12month stage and you know if you're breeding from them then you would um, generally get to about a hundred kilos um, at about that mark and that's when you would um, put them with the boar and and go for. You cut your
1: teeth as a butcher, which I want to get into uh, shortly, but what surprised you about pig farming?
0: Look, being around it all my life, I guess there wasn't a lot of um, surprises. The Probably the intelligence of the pigs is probably always something that surprises most people. They are quite a intelligent pig. If you treat them right and um, look after them, they are really easy, placid animals. Like, they're um, they're really good to work with. So being a butcher, I guess um, you know, we, we see that in the end product as well because they, uh, they come through and, you know, we quite often have the abattoirs and different workers will comment that they're the nice, quietest, you know, pigs they've seen. Um, we also get a lot of uh, uni students, so we do vet placements for the uni in Wagga and, um, you know, quite often people come out and uh, are astonished at how easy they are to actually handle um and that comes down to how they looked after them and how they're they're raised it was probably a little bit unlike those early days where we had those couple of sows that we got in that were very timid a bit scared so um it just goes to show when you look after them and do the right thing they're um they're really good.
1: The pig in the chefing world is known as nose to tail and that every single part of it can be used. Well, Tell us about breaking down a whole pig and, and the approach required.
0: Yeah, sure. So our um, process for us is because we make all our own own small goods and bacon and ham and everything, um, we we do use the whole pig. Um, so... We take our pigs to the abattoirs and then we get the carcass back into our cut-up room and from there we would generally go through, break it all down into into the, the primal or the main cuts and that would be like a shoulder, a loin, belly uh, and leg. And then from there we would um, determine what we need for the week, look at what, um, what orders we have for restaurants, pubs and clubs and uh, also what we need for our our markets that we do and we would go through and trim and break that down further into specifications that we need and and uh, obviously keeping aside things that we need for bacon and ham and, uh, and our small goods. Tell us about the fat content that um,
1: you need from the pigs and uh, how important it is for the different areas whether it's the fresh pork or the small goods.
0: Look the fat is important in all of those areas so with fresh pork that's where we look at marbling in those uh, in those pork cuts, so that when people get like a whole pork scotch fillet or or a pork uh, medallion butterfly loin, they can actually cook that up, and it still retains its moisture and flavour. So the the secret for me in our operation is uh, there's a few people out there that are doing free range pork. But very few people doing free-range Berkshire pork, um, and the se- that's that's one of the secrets for us is the breed plays such a big part in the eating quality for the pork. So with that marbling, that gives you your tender and juicy, and obviously free-range gives you the flavour. So um, and also there is a, an aspect of flavour in the, in the Berkshire as well. So Berkshire meat often turns out darker than. Uh, darker in, in colour than, than other breeds and also free range as well so for me the fat content is as important as all of those other aspects it's all sort of wrapped into one but when you're looking at small goods you need somewhere depending on what type of small goods you're making somewhere between 18 and 30% uh, fat content to, to actually um, produce the quality small goods that you want to make
1: Tell us about some of the um, small goods that you're producing.
0: So we do quite a range. Um, it's always interesting. We get a lot of a lot of comments from from some of our products. We make a a blueberry, a wild blueberry, and maple bacon cabana. That's um, that's really good. We do a uh, black garlic cabana. Um, so that's a fermented garlic, and we we put that into our cabana. Um, they're often referred to as 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 salamis because of the way we make them, they are uh, more like a a salami than a than a ca- cabana or a cabanossi. But um, we have about seven different types of cabanas that we make. We make a fennel and parmesan. We make a uh, a um, VFH cabana, which is. Stands for V is very and H is hot. I'll let you work out what the F is for. Um, so that's a really popular one. We uh, also do um, uh, just a honey garlic cabana, just a nice mild one for the kids. Um, also a honey chili garlic cabana. So yeah, there's, there's quite a few different types of cabanas, and then we have our chorizo. We have our uh, pancetta, we have spec, we make hot dogs, we make Devon, obviously ham, ham and bacon, um, spec. You know, there's a whole range of, of, of products that we do that um, that make up, make up our, uh, our product line.
1: When it comes to using a whole muscle and making something like a um, prosciutto or a ham, take us through your process of, of one of those and what's really important in getting it right.
0: So, if we were to do, say, a boneless ham, for example, we um, we would bone out the the leg. Uh, we remove all of the um, the shin meat, which has got the the sinewy or gristle pieces in it. We would also um, give that a trim so that we can roll it up nice and neat and keep it tight. And from there, it's a really old school process. We we have a recipe, obviously, that we um, have developed over the years. We uh, cure that, uh, we leave that for a few days in the cure, and then we remove it, we net it up into a, um, to a sock, and then we hang it in our smoke ovens and smoke it uh, for a specific time, and um, when it comes out, it's a delicious, flavorful ham.
1: What's What sort of impact does it have on you having sort of your hands in so many areas, um, farmer, butcher, small goods producer? How do you manage it all?
0: It's very hard. We, we do have some good key people that help me along the way. So um, I personally, my typical week would be I would spend a few days on the farm each week. I spend a few days in the cut-up room helping those guys and then we spend a few days at the markets. I typically would say that um, that I would work an eight-day 8 hour week, uh, eight day week and, uh, and I have another saying that I say that, that's quite funny is uh, we, we feel like we get up half an hour before we actually go to bed. So it, it's a long process, but, but there is a couple of guys that I've got helping me to, uh, that we employ. Um, we've got a, a bloke on the farm that helps. We've got a bloke in that cut-up room. And uh, obviously we have some people help us at the markets as well. alongside with my family, I've got my wife. she helps me as well as doing her uh, her own uh, job that she does. Um, and uh, and also our three children um, help out a lot. so when when we first started our children were were ten, eight and six year olds and now they're nineteen, seventeen, and sixteen. So the uh, there's often a often a comment made at the markets we have customers come up and they they say you know uh, they still ask about that kid you know that the little kid that we would have had helping us at the markets because when they were very young they were helping us serve customers at the markets and and still do so um they've customers we've got a lot of long term customers and they've followed watching our kids grow <laughs> throughout the times and, and it's been a challenge because we've got obviously those young kids and, and small business, and we've also had things like droughts and fires and the whole process. So, it's yeah, it's certainly been a tough gig. And
1: how important are those farmers' markets for what you do?
0: Look, they're essential to what we do. Um, it allows us to uh, sell direct to the public. Uh, it gives us that connection with our customers. Um, it is one of our... Uh, goals was to have um a, a a full process control so we we grow the pork we cut the pork up we make the small goods and then we actually sell that or you know have that available for people to purchase at the market so it's um it's been a very important step of um of the whole process
1: tell us about uh, cooking in your house do you have a particular cut or method of cooking that is a family favorite
0: absolutely we have um we have a product that we make and it's called a belly flop so uh my wife actually loves telling this story at the markets she'll she'll say to a customer have can i have I told you about my belly flop story and uh, the customers look at her and and just wonder what's going on and and uh, she she then proceeds and tells them that uh, no I haven't been swimming it's not it's not a belly flop in the pool and uh, she tells them about this pork belly that we we roll up and inside it we put fennel lemon oregano and cracked pepper so that's the 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 flop is an acronym so it's f is f- fennel l is lemon oregano cracked pepper so that's how belly flop story and she tells how to cook it and what to do and of course uh, the customers love it
1: is is there a secret to um, getting that right when you're cooking it and getting great crackling
0: yeah there is so with our pork we always recommend we don't use any oil or any water to dry the skin off the secret is loads of salt because you want to use the salt to draw that fat through the rind through the crackling to get it to crackle and uh, and, and we always tell people with belly uh it can handle a high temperature, so 200 degrees all the way through. Don't turn it down. Put it on a rack, and because the skin goes all the way around, you get this cracking right the way around it. And uh, our family dish that we do is we, we roast that off uh, probably a little bit longer than you'd normally cook a normal roast because we want that fat to render out and we want that really crispy, crunchy skin. And um, so basically you're, you're slightly overcooking that belly, which when you slice it up, it's really tender, really juicy, and you've got that crispy crackling all through it. And uh, I basically, like in the summertime, chop that up and put that in a salad, and it's absolutely delicious. You just have this, uh, it's like a warm pork belly salad. That sounds amazing. It's pretty good.
1: Australia's had some um, very strange weather the last sort of year or two. Um, what sort of impact... Does the weather have on sort of what you do on the farm, and do you have any stories of dealing with that over the last decade?
0: Look, it's um, it's always a challenge, and uh, weather is always unpredictable. So we we have to sort of take each uh, each time as it goes. But recently, we've had a lot of challenges with uh, with how wet it was over the last the last winter. Um, you know, we were having trouble to. Uh, down down the bottom end of our uh, of our property, where we there's a lot of trees, where we particularly have our dry sows, and <clears throat> that area was a little bit of a challenge to get to because of the the wet weather. So we found we were having to walk down there to then we had a laneway and we would walk them all the way back up to a to an area so we could feed them and then basically walk them all back again where, you know, that added hours and hours of time to our day because we were um, having to, we couldn't get the feed down to them. So it meant we had to bring them up, if that makes sense. Mm -hmm. So that was one, one example, I guess. And then when we did try to attempt to go down to these places, we would get bogged. It was a daily occurrence where we would just get bogged and all of our roads were all... Chopped up and uh, all these big deep ruts in them. So and we're still trying to fix them now.
1: Tell us about uh, life on the farm for you. How, how does it make you feel, sort of being out there, um, being a pig farmer?
0: Look, I uh, I think that being a pig farmer is um, is is actually uh, you know a big positive in my life and and in our family. We um, I guess get to see the pro- product from start to finish and, and there's not many people out there that do that there is a few as i said that do free range peaks, but uh, not a lot of them have their own cut up room there is a few guys out there that are doing it now um and uh for us we you know really enjoy seeing the people um give us their responses and feedback from trying our different products so we have lots of different sausages as well which is also another another thing that a lot of people know us for it's things like fig and beetroot sausages and um you know jalapeno and corn molasses and licorice root you know that there's 72 different types we've come up with that we make that we do a bit of a rotation on <laughs> wow and uh and people uh and they're all preservative free filler free binder free so there's no uh, no products with numbers in there either. it's all um, it's all good good healthy stuff so for us it's that's what that's why you know that's what we get out of we've got the farm the cut up room the markets the whole story together is um, is rewarding but challenging
1: you mentioned um, so many um, sausage varieties there what's important in in making sausages for you
0: Look, changing the bar from what people think sausages are is probably is, is one thing. So um, our sausages are, are very unique. We um, do make a lot of different types of sausages. Um, for us, uh, you know, a sausage that's preservative-free, and so we don't use packet mixes. So most butchers will, when they make a sausage, um, they will get a, uh, a packet mix and, um, and put it with their their meat and then they would obviously add the required amount of water. And often often a typical sausage in a in a typical butcher shop would be thirty eight kilos of meat. They would use, you know, a four and a half, five kilo bag of this pre mixed stuff and seven or eight litres of water. And that would then make their sausage that they have. And and that's why sausages don't all taste the same, but they have the same resemblance. They all you know, have that that sort of look about them. Um, whereas all our sausages are very different, <clears throat> and there is a few butchers out there, you know, doing a few different things. Um, and uh, we've entered a lot of different competitions, and um, we generally win quite a quite a number of those um, for different um, different combinations and different innovation. Thing is probably the the key, coming up with something different that other people aren't doing. Um, and along with those, those other attributes of free-range meat, no preservatives, and you know stuff that people know that they can, um, that they can rely on being a, a good, healthy food protein.
1: Well, you've done an extraordinary job in building the farm and, and your brand as well. What, what's next for you?
0: Look, for us, there's a couple of things that we still want to try to do. Um, we would like to complete the picture and have the full control, which would be um, building a uh, on-farm abattoirs. Um, the uh, property that we brought three years ago is a um, is actually a uh, an old site for an old uh, slaughterhouse that used to be um, operational back in the fifties and sixties, and um, so we. We would like to build a, a micro abattoir where we can uh, you know, do our own processing on that side of things. Um, and also it would help other farmers out as well. There's, we have lots of people wanting to use that that, uh, that service as well.
1: Well, Steve, it's amazing um, what you've built there and it's an absolute honour to have you on The Crackling today to hear a part of your story. Um, good luck, keep in touch and uh, we'll catch up again soon.
0: No worries. Thanks, Jack. Oh,
1: cheers. This is The Crackling, a Deep in the Weeds production in partnership with Porkstars. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we catch up with some of Australia's best chefs and pork producers to discover what makes Australian pork so special.